So, Berto, have you heard about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos? Theranos? I hardly knew her. I don't get that joke. <laughs> well, you know, you know how people say, like, it's, it's a joke, right? It's a joke pattern. Uh, you say something like, uh, helper, S- not, not helper. Striker. Striker? I hardly knew her. You know, stuff like that. But, no, it, it's a non sequitur. I, I have, yes. I've been sort of following the, the story over the last couple of years. Yeah, so I thought we would talk about, a lot of people are asking us to talk about Elizabeth Holmes, yeah. what sort of diagnosis she has, and so I thought in this episode we would go into that. What do you say? Let's do it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. My name is Humberto Casaña. I do DNA analysis. No, you don't. So I just remember hearing about this story over the years, because it's been going on for over 10 years. And, but I remember hearing about it probably eight or nine years ago or something, maybe, maybe sooner. I listened to podcasts about science, and if I remember right, they were talking about this claim that this company had this device that could uh, – to me, the way I had visioned it in my head was that it was like an iPhone size. Right. It's actually a, like a printer size but or a you know, desktop computer kind of size. Yeah. But I thought it was like this small little thing, like with one computer chip, it would read your blood. Yeah, like a portable thing that you could always have right. updated and <clears throat> it would update via Wi-Fi or whatever. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, well, that's interesting, but it doesn't really apply to my life because I'm not at that age or in that situation where I need a lot of blood draws. So yeah. I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. And I guess I guess we're we're heading in that direction, right? Because yeah. of course, as technology becomes better, of course that's eventually going to be a product. And I that's interesting that they figured out a way to do it, right? But I also remember thinking, like, well, I am aware enough of these kinds of news re- news releases from startups and yeah, other yeah. kinds of research facilities to know that. A, a lot of these claims are bullshit because they're only trying to get investors. So I also remember thinking like, well, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. And and so uh, what do you remember about it? Uh, so I, I hadn't heard of a scandal first. Like you, I heard the company. I heard the company name. I heard it was the hot darling of, of the startup world. And But the thing that was odd is I had had – uh, blood drawn for a full battery of tests before, and not too long before this kind of came out. Double A battery? Double A battery. That was a Umberto joke right there. <laughs> a whole double A battery of tests. Good one, good one, Berto. I mean, um, but so I was aware of, first of all, the cost. So I, I think my insurance paid, luckily, but the cost was like $3,000. Oh, my God. Because it got sent to this company in the East Coast. It took like a month to get the results back. And it was like this comprehensive stuff and all these things. And I talked to the doctor. I'm like, well, first of all, why do you have to draw so much blood? And why is it so expensive? All these things. And she gave me a pretty lengthy explanation without her, you know, she didn't know all the little details about it, but she knew enough. And so having gone through that, I was, yeah, I was definitely skeptical. I'm like, wait a minute. You don't go from what I just used just like, you know, a year ago to in the same year or the next year, 10 massive improvements across the board that would take decades, you know? Really? You were skeptical? I was skeptical. Be- and, and again, because... Because that's surprising, I just have to say, because in other instances, you seem to be more ready to believe 
the progression of technology. When it comes to software, yeah. Uh, when it comes to software. So, for example, if what they were saying was, look, we have new software mechanisms to analyze the blood in, in more efficient ways. Or if they said, we use machine learning. Sure, abso- no, absolutely, which they do, right? Not they, but like now machine learning is used for analysis. But the, the, the thing that was uncre- incredible was that they could do so much with so little blood. Okay. And, oh, and also the size of the machinery involved and the length of time and all that stuff. Yeah. Because like when you send the blood, these big, uh, in my case, they took two big vials of blood. They go out to these labs, they separate it. They have to do all the little centrifuges and all these things. They put all these separate little samples and it's a big involved process. So I was just like, you know, granted, to be fair, my, my reaction was a mix of that sounds really weird. Also mixed with, by, you know, technology these days. But but it was really more, if we were like 60-40, it was 60 on the, I don't buy it. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, Yeah, so if you haven't learned, if you don't know who Elizabeth Holmes is, uh, she's in the news lately for a number of reasons that will become clear. If you, I, most of my knowledge f- about this case comes from a podcast by ABC Nightline called The Dropout. It's a, it's a pretty good, it's a really good podcast. Hmm. And it's pretty short. It's only like, I would think it's like maybe seven hours long. Or and it's something. all about this? It's all about... Oh, wow. Yeah, because okay. she was a dropout from Stan- yeah, yeah. Stanford. And wow. and it just, it just was published like... Okay. Uh, a month ago or something, so it's pretty up to date. Because my my knowledge comes from YouTube videos about the topic, many different ones, but not I haven't seen that one that podcast. Yeah, so just a brief synopsis of her story. At nineteen in two thousand three, so she's a millennial, I think, or whatever generation that is. Uh, at nineteen two thousand three, she she goes to Stanford. She drops out uh, to to start a startup, and she you know, is a smart person. Uh, apparently in high school, she stuck to herself a lot. She seemed very dedicated. She didn't right. have a lot of friends. And she starts to start up. And her whole thing is she wants to start an Apple-like company, like Apple, right. like built, like uh, Steve. Steve Jobs. And she wants to make a device that tests blood. Yeah, She wants to make a, a device that even looks like an Apple product. And she, she was uh, on a trip where she saw... All these problems that they have, uh, you know, getting accurate blood results and all these things. I forget what it was. It was an international trip, and she saw like all these problems. And on the, uh, I guess on the flight back or the day after she got back, she stayed up like two days in a row, diagramming a, a patent idea. Interesting. So this device is about the size of a printer, and you it just takes uh, a single drop of blood. You know, you put your thumb on it, and it yeah. it draws. It just sticks you real quick, and takes a little bit of blood. And it claimed that it would uh, perform like thirty different tests, or upwards into the hundreds of, of yeah. tests. Like it would test for diabetes. It would test for cancer antigens. It would test for glucose levels. Yeah. It would test for uh, oxygen levels and you know other kinds of problems and you know all the different things that we have that we can right. do right. was all into one tiny little device and as opposed to as you say giving a number of vials of, of blood at a clinic that has to be drawn by a phlebotomist or a tech and has to be sent all over the country it would, yeah. it would do everything right there with a, right. with just a single drop of blood and she talks about in her TED talk about how it would just completely revolutionize 
medicine. There would there wouldn't be a need to go to the hospital. You you could do it in ro- remote places like all over the world. Yeah, you could do it on the battlefield. You could do it at home just to kind of make sure. Her whole thing was she wanted people to know risks right away instead yeah. of having to wait for an appointment and all that stuff. And I, I liken it to oh, I should clarify one thing. When I say that, when I heard about this first, I was like. Yeah, I don't buy it. It wasn't like, oh, I believe there's fraud going on here. Because honestly, in the software world, there are vaporware startups all the time. And I used to, uh, you know, I used to work, before I worked on DNA analysis, I used to work, you know, trying to evaluate companies that had potential ideas that we would pay money for uh, in the world of software. And like, oftentimes they were full of shit. <laughs> Right, and we'll get into that in a, in a bit. So, okay, so that's where your head was. Yeah, so my head was like, I, I guess I I didn't realize that the scale of this and all that stuff. So in my head, it was like, yeah, that sounds unbelievable. But I wasn't like, oh my God, I bet you this is going to be the biggest scandal in in Silicon Valley or something. You right. know? <laughs> Another thing that she said this would do would be lower costs and it would save lives. She, yeah. you know, that that was her big thing. It was called a disruptive technology or disruptive, you know, thing. And which I know this is an old thing to say, but I hate that term. It's not fucking disruptive. It's a product that you're trying to sell because you <laughs> want to make money. It's disrupting everything. It's not dis- and plus, like, isn't disruption a bad thing? Like, you're being a dick. Like, disruptive children are sent to the principal's office. Yeah, I think you know. In, in a lot of cases, they mean like. The, oh man, the pharmaceutical company is not going to be happy about this. Right? Whatever, they're going to get disrupted. By the way, like, can you think of a legitimate disruptive thing that's happened in the past five years? Well, again, it's a very limited way. For example, when the iPhone came out, it disrupted the entire cell phone industry. Which I, I wouldn't call it disrupt, though. I would call <laughs> revolutionize. Well, it, for, for you, absolutely. The people that were trying to make money selling cell phones, they were like, oh shit. <laughs> right, so revolutionized, it, 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 yeah. But for them, it wasn't a good thing, right? Because they went out of business. Nokia, all these people, right? They were like, "Oh, this sucks." <laughs> like Microsoft. Is that what that means? Well, that usually disruptive the people, means ig- eliminating the competition. What I'm saying is, usually the people that use the word disruptive are the insiders or the people that stand to lose from the thing, not the people that stand to gain. All I know is like this business speak drives me nuts. Sure. It's like you don't have to invent another word to make something well, seem special. For example, do you remember it? The movie? The Segway. The Segway? The little vehicle where you stand on it. It's got two wheels and you yeah. move. Uh, the, the inventor, uh, what's his name? K- Kaner K- K- something. Uh, when when it it was coming out, there was all these rumors because he had done this present secret presentation in Silicon Valley to all these investors, and the rumors coming out is like, this is going to change the way they design cities. Talk about disruption! This is going to disrupt cities, and it was all this hype, all this hype, and then when it was finally revealed, a lot of us common folk were like, oh, that's kind of neat, <laughs> you know? Right. That's my point. Is like one. Use a different word. And two, <laughs> when you're using the word, you're usually completely bullshitting. You know what right, I mean? Totally. It's, it's like every, especially in tech, the tech world, arguably there are 500 new things that happen yeah. every year totally. that are 
pretty, <laughs> that are that are pretty new. Yeah, you know, it's it, a new way to encrypt video, yeah. a new way to send uh, data packets yep. in a more efficient way, a better way to configure your microchips. So, and and I guarantee you, the engineers are not framing it as disruptive. They're sure. saying. It's another way to do something. It's a better way to do it's something. A way, yeah. <laughs> that fucking marketers will say it's disruptive, it's disruptive because it's a new thing to say. It's well, uh, the other thing, by the way, that that smelled smelled a little funny is that when this guy that I was talking about was coming out with this segways, uh, that wasn't out of the thin air. He he was an inventor already. Had invented many things. Had many patents to his name. All these things. Like if Elon Musk came out right now and did a press announcement that he's got an all-electric bicycle that's going to revolutionize, you know, how bicycles work. We may be a little skeptical, but we wouldn't be like, who? Elon, what? Where is this guy? Electric bicycle? We'd be like, okay, that makes sense. He's invented this, that, the other. This was a gal who wasn't writing software. This is what I was saying about software. Software, the software evolution has been exponential in the last 50 years. She wasn't writing software. She was promising all these advances in chemistry, in in machinery for analysis of blood. Like, did, did she invent all this machinery? How did she have all this knowledge? Right. So when we look more closely, as very few people in the public were, right. the whole thing seems absurd, yeah. particularly 2020 looking back. So going into more details, by the time the company gets to 2013, they have almost a billion dollars from investors. <laughs> Uh, almost and from and from uh, from big names like Henry Kissinger and yeah. like other people, and it's valued at ten billion. So the company is, even though it hasn't made a cent yet, <laughs> you know, it's like it's like, well, this is gonna make a lot. Twenty fourteen, she becomes massively famous due to the notoriety of of the company and the hype and all that kind of stuff. She's on the cover of Fortune and Forbes, et cetera. Forbes recognized her as the world's youngest self-made female billionaire. Right. She is estimated to have a net worth of $4.5 billion. At that point? Yeah. That's crazy. Before she even released the, the product. Why was it? Uh, why? I don't get that. Cut stock. But it, had it gone public? Yeah. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. They, they, okay, it had gone public way before. I forgot about that. Right. Uh, but... All this time, there was tons of fraudulent behavior. Four billion. Four and a half billion. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, Forbes had her on the cover, and right. she was the youngest, the world's youngest self-made f- female billionaire. Uh, lots of fraud, though. They told they, lots of lies. They said that it was being used by the military as a way of trying to market it when it wasn't being used by the military at all. They told Walgreens and other places because they were going to put these machines yeah. and other kinds of technologies in their facilities. They told them all that it was working when it wasn't. They said that the the machine actually did all the work when, in fact, they just took the blood and sent it to all the same places anyone else would send. <laughs> um, but the main the main fraud was that they were making claims, particularly Elizabeth Holmes, that the product worked when right. everyone in the business knew it did not work, yeah. particularly the scientists. And the scientists would speak out and say, this doesn't work. And they would promptly get bullied or fired yeah. or sued for revealing secrets, you know, that kind of thing. Um, in 2014, she claimed the company had an annual revenue of $100 million. <laughs> what do you think the revenue actually was? Oh, my God. This sounds like Enron. Uh, $100 million. Uh, 
Uh, ten million. A hundred thousand. No way. So. 0.1%. Oh my god. So she took the revenue and times it by <laughs> and times it by 1000. That's crazy. That's like a McDonald's worker claiming that they get paid, you know, $15,000 an hour. <laughs> so basically, I was I was comparing it to Enron. This makes Enron looks like like they're the most honest bunch <laughs> Right. In well, the room. To me, I'm surprised they even had revenue at all because they had nothing to sell. Sure. So 2018 co- uh, comes That's a along, good point. <laughs> and they get charged with fraud by the SEC, which looks at this sort of securities fraud. Sure. She, they uh, found her to be in violation. She had to hand over her shares, which were pretty much worthless by the time it was known that fraud was happening. She had to relinquish control of her company. She paid a, a fine of just half a million dollars, which I find to be hilarious. That is crazy. Had she sold shares and made a shit ton of money already? I don't think so. Okay. Um, she is barred from being an officer or director of any public company for 10 years. And she might go to prison for 20 years, although some analysts are doubting that she'll go to prison because white-collar crimes are hard. Because she they have to demonstrate that she knowingly lied. And it's possible that... Given all the different factors, you could say like, well, I thought it was going to work, you know. But how would she not know that she wasn't making $100 million? Right. (laughs) So, or she could say, well, that's what I thought at the time. Jesus. Uh, 2019, uh, today, she's back trying to get investors for another startup. Did you know? No way. Yeah. She's hanging around San Francisco, uh, you know, Silicon Valley, uh, starting another startup. The incredible guts on this crazy person well so all of this is completely we've heard this story before on this podcast right with whatever that kid's name from the fire festival yeah right um adam mckay is making a movie about her called called bad blood starring jennifer lawrence (laughs) as elizabeth holmes that's a good choice oh have you were you gonna talk about her voice uh sure talk about it well, it's funny because I never actually thought about it. You know, I had always heard she has a low speaking voice. Uh, but in some of the YouTube videos I watched, they had clips from her on some interview where they claimed that she momentarily forgot to do her low voice. And so her voice was much higher. And it does sound that way. But I don't know what the truth is. Her voice does sound sort of like if you're Pareto graphing this thing, like it, it seems out of the distribution averages for for a woman you know it's like on the lower side right it sounds affected it sounds like when a woman it sounds like if i if a man for myself is speaking outside of their range right so if i was to talk like this all the time you would be like that's not a natural voice right Right. you'd be like but at the same time what i want to i don't want to really make fun of her voice too much because I don't really care that she changed her voice. And I she did, might have been trying to fit in in the man's world. That, and maybe her voice really is that way. I mean, some people have different sounding voices. That's I, true. I don't, really, I don't really care to like point that out. What I, I, I will, what really I will point out is that from an early point, she completely wanted to emulate Steve Jobs. She started uh, in, the, in the podcast, they talk about, because they interview like childhood friends and mm-hmm. you know, all this kind of thing. And they would say, yeah, she used to dress kind of frumpy. She, was, she, she wasn't really into fashion. And then one day she just decided she wanted to be like Steve Jobs. And so she, then from that point forward, she wore black turtlenecks <laughs> and, you know, yeah. that sort of look. 
and uh, which is just interesting. And it, if you haven't seen a picture of her, Google her. She has a very striking face. I mean, she's not like a model, but she's right. close, you know. And it, 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 she just has that Britney Spears but smart look to herself. Sure. You know? And so uh, before, so I want to go into whether or not she's a psychopath is the point because the whole episode's yeah. about you know her psychology. And but before we do that, I just want to highlight that because uh, I don't think I went into enough detail is that for many years. According to reports, she was lying, she was bullying, yep. she was evading, she was uh, claim- she was putting machines out there that didn't work, which put people's lives in danger. Yeah, she was um, manipulating people to invest. You know, it was similar to the Fire Festival in that totally. all this effort was going into producing this product that she absolutely knew wasn't going to work. And to the very last minute, she was claiming that it was all fine. In the same way that the fire Festival right. guy was pushing, 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 even though lots of people were saying, dude, this isn't going to work. You know, right. if anyone saw the campground that the fire Festival was going to be on, it was him. Right. And he would look at it and go like, this isn't going, this is not what we sold right. to these people. So- it's so let's let's get into whether or not she's a psychopath, but let's go to the break first. What do you say, bro? Let's do it. All right, we're back from the break. If Elizabeth Holmes, in her voice, were going to convince people to become a patron of their podcast, what would she say? I want to ask you all a favor. Um, we are doing this to change the world, one patron at a time. All you have to do is donate one little bit of your blood and send it to me, Berto, and I will analyze it for you. I will tell you how much evolutionary psychology plays a role in your day-to-day life, and that's why you need to donate as a patron. By the way, did you send a picture to the person we chose on the podcast? I drew, I drew it, but I have to color it. So you haven't sent it yet? Because, I have a picture of it. Do you want to see it? Because Jana from Texas emailed us and said... Um, uh, I heard my name on the podcast. I didn't get a drawing. So it's that was like a month ago, by the way, Berto. Um, looks great. Uh, let's pick someone else. All right. Let's but, pick one of our two top uh, patrons. One, well, let's pick some, one of our big patrons here who is um, in our $20 range. Okay. So give me a letter of the alphabet, Berto. N. N. I'm going to get the first. Noah. Noah from Los Angeles, you are going to get a picture drawn by Umberto. I better speed up my process, though. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, what I need you to do is do it right after we record. Okay. Because okay, you can't okay. wait months to... Uh, <laughs> all right, all right, all right. And don't, don't spend that much time on it. These, these patrons are lovely people, but, you know, you don't want to break your back. <laughs> Trying to draw just, down I don't picture. draw on a regular basis. On- no, Noah has been our, <laughs> our patron since uh, December of 2016. So, oh my gosh, uh, over two years. Okay. okay, so let's get back to Elizabeth Holmes. Um, and thank you, Elizabeth Holmes, for uh, you know telling everyone to become a patron. By the way, um, so is Elizabeth Holmes a psychopath? Well, we're going to look at so the term psychopath is. Uh, defined in lots of different ways. Some people like consider it to be the same as antisocial. Right. Some people don't. 
Some people think of it in the old terms of the personality disorder. Some people think about it in the hair conceptualization. We're going to use the hair conceptualization. That's the dominant definition. The 20 items on the hair checklist. Isn't it generally a super genius who eats human flesh? Yep. Uh, So she's not a psychopath, so (laughs) we can move on. Um, So we'll just go through the list. And, of course, I can't diagnose her as a clinician because I've never assessed her. Everything we're about to say is from a podcast. You know, I haven't talked to her. It could all of this could be lies or at least right. you know wildly off the mark. This is just for educational purposes of psychological concepts and and how to learn about totally. them. Oh, um, sorry, sorry. I just realized she is potentially a super genius, and maybe she was using all the little pinpricks of blood as her way to be a cannibal without actually consuming flesh. Maybe that's why her voice is so low. That could be. Yeah. So, number one, pathological lying. Berto, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, yes, definitely. You're right. 10 out of 10. Well, so, uh, the evidence is that, I'm guessing you're pointing at, is that she lied about her products over and over and over again. Yes. And how much money the business was right. making. and also- Well, I, I guess one thing that I don't know if there's evidence for is whether she also did the kind of like unnecessary lying. <laughs> right. And there is. Okay. So when you listen to the podcast, they talk about incidents okay. where she would do that. Like one time her employee was emailing her, a higher up employee, okay. and she emailed back and she's, and she's like, oh, I'm not in the office today. I'll, you know, I'll talk to you tomorrow. And through a window, he can see her. <laughs> in the office. In the office. <laughs> and he goes to her and he's like, um, <laughs> you just lied to me. Like you can't, and this was not the first lie. Right. This was just maybe the first really obvious lie that he could just walk down the hall and confront her on. And he's like, why are you lying all the time? Like, you can't run a business like that's so important. You can't run a startup and like get people to trust you if you're just going to lie so weirdly. <laughs> and she like really did not like that and, you know, followed him back to his office and like was very intimidating and trying to put oh, him in, wow. put him in his place. So, right. So it's not just, you know, because lying about, as you say, vaporware and all that kind of stuff is to some extent encouraged in the business yeah. industry. But she lied about lots of things. Um, so, and then, you know, her voice could also be considered kind of like a deception. Sure. Uh, number two, glib and superficial charm. Berta, what do you think? I don't know. I mean, she seemed uh, she seemed charming in her presentations, or charming is not even the right word, convincing in her presentations, authorita- authoritative in her presentations. But I don't know if she was glib and superficial. Right. So that's not evidence of superficial. Yeah. All presenters are quote unquote superficial. Sure. They've they've practiced it a hundred times. Yeah. They're not being genuine in the moment, right. you know. But in the podcast, they talk about how she was charming. And she, if she didn't have a need for you, she wasn't charming. Uh, but if she had a need for you, she was extremely charming. Lots uh, of eye contact. <laughs> lots of like right. attentive listening and that kind of thing. Wow. And so, seemingly reportedly. Number three, grandiose sense of self. Berta, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, to think, 
to think, you know, like I'm going to sit here, I'm going to draw a patent for something that's going to revolutionize the entire world because it's going to save everyone's lives. I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to convince everyone that I have figured out how to do it. Then when I still haven't, I'm going to still basically tell everyone that I have and that it works. And it's all because of me so I can do my TED Talks and all these things. Yes, I believe. Probably yes. (laughs) Right. If she were saying, my company is going to develop AI, for example. Yeah. That would be a less of a grandiose claim because it's possible that some definition of AI is around the corner or is already here or something. But it was such a concrete claim. Yeah, yeah. Even at the low end, they were saying 30 different tests that a standalone device without any connection to the internet or any need from outside help, this tiny little box could give 30 different accurate blood tests from a drop of blood and is just a and is and is and is present now is like ready to go now uh, but by the way is yeah. grand and, and, or even just as she was thinking she was before she even had the product right. the idea that she's going to just because of her own willpower is a grandiose claim right and uh, I don't know if they covered it in the podcast, but how did the ball even start rolling downhill in the first place? Because I get it when there's a hype and now there's a snowball and things like that. But like with the first investor, she goes and says, hey, I believe I can solve 10 different hard problems all at once. How did that even get started? Well, it's hard to know exactly because there's a long story with lots of different players. Yeah. But the, one of the main plot points is she goes to this old guy. I think his name's Graham. And I think he used to be a secretary of state or some. he was some uh-huh. important guy. And he, I think he might even been a friend of the family. I think she grew up in a wealthy neighborhood. Okay. And so she was connected in that way. And so somehow she goes to this this influential guy who has money and knows a lot of influential people. And if it's one thing, if you've seen interviews with Elizabeth Holmes, even when she's being um, uh, cross-examined, right. she comes across as an intense person. Right. Yeah. Extreme eye contact. Right. Precise language. Yeah. Convincing rhetoric. Right. So at 19, I think, she goes to him, 20 or something, and is – you know the way she talks and she had like you said she had mm-hmm. she had done some enough reading to speak with some authority she's talking to someone who knows nothing right. about the technology okay. the person and everyone else that was on the board subsequently after that knew nothing, nothing <laughs> which is another red flag that so and then eventually what caused the house of cards to fall was because of the massive notoriety that she got from Forbes and Fortune and all this, all the media talk. Right. Because there's lots of other businesses like this, by the way. Hers is just, Theranos has just be, became a target because they had so much press that uh, medical people started looking into it going <laughs> like, well, wait a second, like, where's the research you know, yeah. you're 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 claiming it's already being used by the military. It's in <clears throat> it's in Walgreens stores. Show me the the papers. The papers, the, the last decade of papers right. that would have had to lead to half of this product. <laughs> right. So then, and then other people, and then the press started going because because the only people who would know to the right questions to ask would yeah. be medical researchers. Right. 
and they were kind of silent up until a certain point. And then the and then the press gets involved, and then the, then the SEC got involved. But for a long time, wow. And she she made sure that she kept all the different players separated. So she made sure that the scientists who were actually working on the product didn't talk to anyone else. She was like R. Kelly in this way, and it's like everyone was made, <laughs> siloed. Yeah, like the the R. Kelly documentary. They talk about how the dancers couldn't talk to the singers, who couldn't talk to the musicians, who couldn't talk Weird. to like because. He just knew, you know, and, she, and Elizabeth Holmes knew that if the marketers and the investors talk to the scientists, this whole thing's going to fall apart. If they compare notes, it's over. Right. Not only compare notes about her and the way she right. treats everybody, but also just like the, the facts of the product. <laughs> and so all these people, you know, you had like uh, the famous, the Waltons and like all these Republican, there's a lot of Republicans actually right. investing. All these people knew nothing about the medical industry. And if they had one medical person in there, they would have been like, so by the way, has anyone actually seen the research that is, that's peer reviewed, that is not biased, (laughs) that's not an uh, in-house researcher? Because until we see 10 years of that, we can't actually, the FDA is not going to even begin to look at this until we have like, at least three years of trials by outside sources and blah, so blah, blah. So I, I didn't have that perspective when I first heard about this. It, for some reason, that didn't dawn on me because now that you say it, that's so obvious. Where's the research, right? But you would have thought hearing the news stories that that had, oh, been, that had been done. That probably is true. Although even, even then, I guess my mind wasn't even going there. Like, oh, I, I suppose there must be research. You know what, what did occur to me, though? And this is, I think, why I just was like, oh, this sounds weird, is that uh, when I watch a sci-fi movie, especially in the last decade, the thing that always bugs me lately is that the cities are so advanced. And I look around and I'm like, damn, this city is like designed 100 years ago. And mostly it's going to stay that way. Right. If you, <laughs> if you took a picture of Seattle... <laughs> And sent it back in time to 1963 <laughs> and said, what year do you think this is? Right. They'd be like, 1965? Right. Surely not 1970, because <laughs> by the time 1970, we're, we're going to be like in flying cars. Right. You know, we're, we're, we're almost on the moon. Like, if, you know, surely like not 2019, like 2019, we're going to be like energy beings yeah. and, and floating it to, <laughs> to Jupiter and shit. Right. Like, we're... We're not going to have potholes and <laughs> curbs and cigarette butts and cars with wheels and you know. Right. Surely that's not going to be. So, so that same line of thinking is what, what I've come over. Like, like I said, like over the last decade or so, I've come to this conclusion that uh, software is the thing that right now in our history is evolving very fast because software uh, sort of is new, anyways. And so, because of that, it started from zero and it's just been accelerating. Uh, but you don't have to agree worldwide on everything at once. Certainly the internet, there had to be a lot of agreement by the the right parties and things like that. But with something like cities, there's so many people involved, so many regulations, so many pre-existing houses, so many things, right? And then the health industry is not quite as complex, but it's similar. There's tons of players, tons of people involved, tons of regulations, tons of government stuff and all these things, right? Coupled with the fact that Th- you know, I'm look. I remember when I would go to the doctor 20 years ago, and now, and I'm like, things are sort of the same, give or take a few things. So, 
that's why I was like, this doesn't seem like, how could you have evolved so quickly in this, in this field? Yeah. I mean, having said that, we've made tremendous invisible advances, say, in cancer research and other kinds of things, but, but they're, right. not, they're not visible. Well, but even take that. Like, the DNA was sequenced in the 90s, right? Yeah. And, and actually, and that was an example of how software accelerated way beyond anyone's expectations, right? Because it started, it started the prediction was it was going to take like 30 years. Then it was like, oh, we might be done in 20 years. And then they were done like in a decade or something, right? Yeah. Great. And then a lot of things were like, well, now we're going to be able to sequence the genes, cure all these diseases. Like, well, that, that part takes a long time too, right? right. And, and what you're saying about cancer, you know, I, I remember 15 years ago seeing some news article about like, finally, they found some virus that can kill cancer cells. I'm like, oh, great. Cancer, five years, we might have a cancer. No, it's like these things take forever. <laughs> well, and there have been incremental medical advances right. by very hardworking people with a lot of outside, you know, replication and research right. before they actually un- use it on humans yeah. and trial try it on humans, that each individual type of cancer has had, uh, you know, slowly but surely lower rates of death, yeah. uh, faster recovery, more precise treatments. Right. And uh, to your point, with tons of papers yeah. and research. Like, <laughs> like, just most people know that with HIV, it's not a death sentence anymore. Yeah. But it absolutely was until like, I don't know, the year 2000-ish, mm. that, around that time. And that's because – and there was no, there was no inventor like, like Elizabeth Holmes yeah. who came out and like cured HIV. It's been thousands upon thousands of right. researchers all over the world making tiny little advances and tweaks to the medications and the you yeah. know, blah, blah, blah that eventually now for the vast majority of people with HIV – they can live, right. you know, they don't, they don't die. Anyway, so getting back to the, the hair psychopath uh, uh, measure, grandiose sense of self. So we can look at the things on the surface, but again, in the podcast, they talk about how at an early age when she was just a priest or like a seven-year-old kid, she talked about how she was going to invent something great. Like that's okay. all she talked about. So for, so something about her family made it so that she felt that she needed to have a grandiose self in order to have some self-esteem. Right. She thought she was going to be the next Steve Jobs when she was 19 years old, even though she had no product. You know, Steve Jobs had a product. Yeah. Before Steve Jobs was Steve Jobs, he was just a loser in a in a garage, <laughs> but he actually, like, was doing some interesting things, yeah. you know, with, like, breaking into uh, Get Free Long Distance. And, yeah. And actually, like working with Wozniak and making boards and stuff. Yep. I mean, there there was a thing that he was making, and I'm sure he had dreams, but he wasn't like the Steve Jobs that he eventually became. You know, so from a very early age, it what again hard to tell, but you have you were just looking at it uh, through very limited data. But it seemed like a, she had a consistent personality trait of a grandiose sense of self. She didn't have friends, which is another kind of indicator of narcissism and, and psychopathy in that uh, in high school, she couldn't really relate to other people. She might not have actually wanted to have friendships. Narcissistic people tend to be very independent. They, they feel superior, but they also really are afraid of relationships because relationships have hurt them oh, in the okay. past. Um, and so uh, people have a grandiose sense of self because 
it's a defense against a lack of self. Oh, and it's a, it's a defense against not only low self-esteem, but almost no self-esteem. Wow. It, you know, the fantasy distracts them and gives them some sense of self-worth. Number four, need for stimulation. What do you think, Berto? Oh, interesting. Um, hmm. Maybe in the sense that, man, any normal, quote-unquote, normal person under that amount of stress where – you, you know, billions of dollars are riding on this vapor machine with people asking you on a daily basis, it's late. The Walgreens thing is late. When are you going to, is this really working? And all these things that, that is that same kind of adrenaline fueled craziness that we talked about in the firefights. Like normal people couldn't keep calm under those circumstances. Was she getting an enjoyment from that rush? I don't know. Yeah. That's a good hypothesis. I, I, I don't, I'm not convinced. Yeah. I just don't think we have any evidence. It actually it seems like we would have seen a signal there. Typical need for stimulation is like skydiving and drinking and drugging and, um, you know, driving fast and this kind of thing. There, no reports of that. Number five, cunning and manip- manipulative. What do you think, Bruno? Certainly. I mean, she was able to manipulate that older guy that was uh, financing her and he was, she was able to manipulate board the board and countless reporters and investors and researchers. And, you know, yeah, this is one of the themes of the podcast. She knew how to intimidate people. She knew who to influence. She knew what to say. And I mean, this wasn't just a couple years. This was like 15, 16, 17 years. Oh, wow. It was 16 years. <laughs> I mean, founded in 2003. Wow. Uh, and got taken down in 2019. Wow. End of 2018. So all that time, and with scientists that knew something was wrong. Yeah. So, and no product to actually show anyone. She had people saying in public, I've used the, the machine, even though they hadn't. Because, <laughs> because she had convinced them either through trickery or with enough smoke and mirrors that they could safely say they've used the machine because they know that the machine is working. Right. And uh, it's just uh, extremely, that's one of the themes of the podcast is learning about how someone does the long con with so many people. I mean, hundreds of people worked for her, (laughs) you know? Um, And it ended up being thousands because she fired people so quick, you know, which is another method of her manipulation. She used lawyers to manipulate people. Um, and she was, you know, pretty charming, obviously, because people really liked her. Six, callous and lack of empathy. What do you think? Yeah. Uh, not thinking about, I mean, you just mentioned she fired hundreds of people just to keep the, the thing going. She obviously, if her intentions were noble to begin with, which reportedly they were because she saw how how horrible it was in this. I forget where it was that she had traveled to, but she was like, wow, the conditions are so terrible and these people could really use help and they don't know. Well, who so, knows? That's her narrative. It could know. be, right? But that that's a fair point. But at no matter what, she knew this device was supposed to be in the hands of people that actually needed it okay. to work. Yeah, that's, that's the key is that it, and it was being used or her technology was being used and there were reports going back to her uh-huh. of, people saying this isn't reliable yeah like there are te- we're sending results back to people that say they have like pre-cancer right when they don't right or they have diabetes when they don't or saying they don't have diabetes when they do and children are using this thing and <laughs> and there was no slowing down like at no point was she like oh 
Okay, let's let's scale back. Let's, I don't want to hurt anybody. Right. I mean, again, if she were talking about a an AI that was fun to use in a video game or yeah. something, then that's one thing. But she's using medical equipment yeah. for people's lives. Totally. Number seven, lack of remorse or guilt. Um, well, from the interviews I've seen, I haven't seen anything recent, um, but the interviews I've seen where she's getting grilled about, like the cat is out of the bag, she's getting grilled about it. Uh, she doesn't seem that way. You know? Yeah, there's no evidence of remorse or guilt. It's um, more like, hey, I really thought this was going to work or whatever, you know? <laughs> which she couldn't have. Yeah. I mean, she could have thought in 20 years. Yeah. But there was, but there's no indication that she was going to figure it out. Right. And she, yeah. So there's two main things. One is it's like after being caught, she didn't, she didn't apologize in any kind of meaningful way. But even if she did, you're, I wouldn't believe it given her track record. The main thing is remorse is something you feel as something is happening too. Right. You know, if you shoot someone and you don't feel remorse afterwards, that's one thing. But that's that's a very quick event that's happening. Her uh, transgression happened over longer than 10 years. Yep. You could at least say there were a good five years there where every day, and all she did was this business. Like she didn't do really anything else. She 24 seven. This is all she, she didn't really have a life outside yeah. of this business. She knew she was harming humans, firing people, harming right. actual patients, uh, lying to all these people, lying to the investors. She knew every single day she was doing that and never did she change course. Yep. Never. Yep. That's lack of remorse. Uh, totally. Eight, failure to accept responsibility. Yeah, same. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Totally. Number nine, shallow emotional response. Right. Because, um, it, you know, when finally confronted, maybe the reality of it all sets in and she goes, I would just like to take this opportunity to tell the families that, that were and could have been affected that I, I just don't, I can't express how sorry I'm, you know, like. <laughs> right. Yeah, kind of blank. Yeah. Yeah. Hard to know. That one's more subtle, and you really have to interact with someone and get, like, sure. more reports from people close to her. Reportedly, people were saying that, but that one's less easy to sort or of. The, although, although the example you gave, granted, it's just one, but where the guy is like, why are you lying? I just saw you in things. And it's not, I guess, not even shallow because it's the opposite. It's like berating the guy and whatever. Right. <laughs> Number 10, parasitic lifestyle. Well, I don't know about that because like, like you said, she was working all the time, but parasitic in the terms of she, she used all the investors' money and all the yeah. stock money. Yeah, so this one's hard to know because uh, I, I, I wouldn't say that this one's endorsed because she... Um, was a business person and never right. really depended on anyone right. else monetarily. Uh, a parasitic lifestyle is like Dirty John. You remember that guy? Yeah. <laughs> That's a parasite. Like he he exhibited this classic par this right. classic uh, psychopathic trait right. where he was unemployed and would ingratiate himself on a woman, and then he would have her pay for him for everything. Yeah. You know. And a, a lifestyle of that, not just like, oh, I'm in between jobs, but like that's what he did. He just right. bounced from person to person, like exploiting them and, and, and getting them to pay for things. She didn't really have that. But it's interesting to think if she hadn't had landed on an, on an idea that actually appealed to a bunch of investors, if she would have had a parasitic lifestyle up until this point. She did. Didn't she um, marry or wasn't she with this guy that was 
quite a bit older than her. Yeah. And so maybe there was a little bit of that going on. Maybe. That one's kind of a weird one, which I don't really necessarily feel is worth talking about too much because there's just not any data. She, at the age of like 18, she met this guy who was almost 20 years older than her, a guy, I think, born in Pakistan, if I'm not mistaken, and then moved to India and then the United States, if I'm not mistaken. And they had a secret relationship, and and then um, at, for who knows why they kept it secret, probably because of the age difference, I'm guessing. But you know, we've talked about before, it's like we don't want to shame age difference in relationships. We don't know. Maybe she was exploited. Hard to know. And then eventually she hired him as like basically the chief operations officer, I yeah. think, and kept it, kept their relationship secret from the board and everyone else. And, and then they broke up and then I think they, anyway, so I don't know who knows. They're yeah. both kind of shady, uh, greedy seeming people. He was also apparently lying about his wealth and stuff like that. So right. who knows? Yeah, and he like drives a Lamborghini that has like a license plate that says something like um, "Das Capital," <laughs> uh, which is a yeah, referen- das Capital. reference to um, Marx. Yep. Which is like, is it is he mocking Marxism or something? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Number eleven, poor behavioral controls. I don't know. Yeah, hard to know. There's some reports though, uh, but not a lot of em- uh, evidence. She lost her temper a lot, okay. so maybe. 12, irresponsibility. Yeah, I mean, in the grand scale, uh, I mean, it sounds like she, she did work all the time, but in the, in the big irresponsibility word, meaning, yes. <laughs> yeah, the classic psychopath irresponsible quality is that they get fired from their job a lot, right. they don't pay their bills, they um, don't show up to court, even mm-hmm. when... It, it hurts them to do so. That's the classic irresponsibility. With her, harder to detect, certainly doesn't come across as irresponsible. Um, but when you look at the big picture, it was very irresponsible. Yeah. But she's not a classic case of it. Number 13, impulsivity. Well, that's interesting. Um, I, I suppose the behavior of on the spot making up lies and then also sort of you know, kind of deciding on courses of action that are reckless might be impulsive, but I, that's about all I would say. Yeah, hard to say. There doesn't seem to be a ton of evidence of that. Um, this is why I think she's not a, a super classic psychopath. Yeah. Because, and again, all the data we have is just from the little bit that we know, but she didn't seem to exhibit that. If she were truly impulsive given her lifestyle, I would have we would have seen maybe more uh, sexual acting out, more alcohol and drug acting out, more sudden investments. Like the fire Festival guy actually showed more of this. Yeah. Like the day of, yeah. he was just kind of impulsively reacting to the situation without any right. forethought, you know? Right, right, right. Um, 14, many short-term marital relationships. I don't think so. No, doesn't seem like it. 15, sexual promiscuity. We don't know. Uh, we didn't hear anything. And I would imagine we would have in the podcast anyway yeah. if there was any evidence of that. Doesn't seem to be any evidence for that, but who knows. 16, early behavioral problems. Early? Oh, yeah, you mentioned some of them when she was younger. Didn't you say when? No. 
Oh, no, no. You just said she had a grand sense of self. Oh, okay. Well, then, no, I don't know. Right. So this is another data point that shows that she might actually not be a psychopath and that the vast majority of psychopaths, 99% will have uh, er childhood and adolescent behaviors that, you know, eventually progress. I see. You know, Jeffrey Dahmer would use would abuse animals and yeah, then he yeah. would graduate to humans this kind of thing oh by the way i did a whole episode on jeffrey dahmer and someone on youtube said they chastised me for not having you on that episode oh maybe we need to do a follow-up <laughs> um so but it, you know who knows but they did talk to some of her friends growing up and they were like no oh, she was oh, oh. she was totally normal oh sorry you did the dark tet- tetrad or whatever yeah Right. I, I mean, I am sad I wasn't on it, but I want to hear it because it sounds fascinating. Yeah, I thought it was... In, I mean, I, I didn't do a super deep dive, deep dive but yeah. I did a, a mini one, and I didn't realize how interesting that case was, actually. Yeah. Lack of realistic long-term goals. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what were her long-term goals? I guess it was, I'm going to make a, a billion dollars or more and change the world and... I don't have I don't have any way to do it, but I'm going to do it. Right. So in some ways, no. She you know she did not have or this one's endorsed. Yes, she did yes. not have a very good long right. realistic long term goals. But in in a lot of ways, she really did because to you know because a typical classic psychopath in her position would have like one day charmed the guy to fall in love with her idea. And then the next day, she'd be on to another idea. Yeah. And she would forget about that guy. I see. And then, you know, like, psychopaths tend to just be generally kind of scattered, you know? I see, right. And, and so uh, think about all the micro, quote-unquote, long-term goals she had to have held in her head to build a company over 15-plus years. Sure. Yep. Um, you know, you've got to like think, okay, we need this capital. I need to, you know, make sure I trick the public in this way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I need to develop my TED talk. I need to talk to the lawyers. I need to, you know, there was a lot of things that she did that exhibited, but the key here is realistic long-term goals. Yeah. So I don't know. 18, juvenile delinquency. Not that I know of. Right. There's no evidence. We could be, you know, not given information because her and her family aren't talking to the press. Yeah. About such things. 19, revocation of conditional release. This is not applicable because the hair measure is for prisoners for the most part. And 20, criminal versatility. I guess so because, I mean, she she was able to break a ton of laws seemingly without without batting an eyelid. I guess so. But again, the typical criminal versatility is they assault people, they rob people – they sell drugs. They break into cars. Oh, I see. They vandalize. They uh, use bad checks. They, you know, steal people's wallets and use. You know, criminal versatility meaning they're just Blue generally color, they're, they're just they're just generally <laughs> criminal. You know what I mean? But it is interesting that we are so geared towards thinking of true crime is the the poor people crime, right? Like someone who orchestrates a fake energy crisis in California and causes massive grid disruptions, including putting people's lives at risk and some deaths. That's not 
true criminal behavior. <laughs> well, it is. I admire. No, no, I know. And I know you're not saying. I'm just saying, as a society, yeah, we default to thinking of. You know, Paul Manafort led a mostly blameless life until he did all these defrauding and all these things. Right. It's like we think of he was he wasn't out stealing with a gun or something. He wasn't right. He's not a blue collar criminal. Yeah, I mean, people make the the ninety nine percenters made this argument over and over again that if someone walked up to someone with a gun and said, "Give me every." you know, dollar in your bank account. Right. Uh, and it happens to be 10,000 or a million dollars or something. And say a group of people did that, say a company, then they'd all be in jail for <laughs> 10, 20, 30 years. Criminal conspiracy, right. But when you, it's a bank <laughs> like uh, Lehman Marcus right. or Lehman Brothers, yeah. Lehman Brothers, sorry. Um, wait, is Lehman Marcus? Lehman Marcus is the clothing company. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you don't understand the fraud that they got into. Marcus. You don't get it, man. It, it's they they charge 10x on everything. Hey, the the lamestream media is not talking about it. Alex Jones has been reporting on it forever. Uh, okay, so my conclusion about the hair psychopath measure, based on the tiny little bit of information we can glean from the internet, so God knows if it's accurate, is I would I would put her at like the forty percent range if I'm okay. gonna if I'm gonna put like Manson and those kinds of people at the hundred percent range. Right. I, I would say that uh she doesn't really fit the classic presentation and uh but she but a key is that she uh emotionally abused people. Yeah. She manipulated people. She was very charming. You know, she wasn't generally social. Mm. It wasn't like she had a lot of friends, yeah, and some of them just happened to be influential people. Right. She pretty much only was charming to people who she yeah. could use to get this thing done. Right. So that'll tell you something, the, and and it's sort of that emotional uh, shallowness where you're just not you're not really invested in other in right. in other lives. You know, you're not really warm. You're you're. It's all being used. This uh, lifetime of a grandiose sense of self. This um, this lack of remorse and and this taking this action because at some point she could have said something like, "Okay, we have all these investors, things aren't really working out. Um, how about I figure out a way to sell this thing? Yeah, <laughs> and then I can say, well, I, I want to move on to something else. Yeah, and." Maybe I'll get out with like a million, you know, a billion dollars, right? Or I'll get out with half a billion dollars. Yeah. But you know, this thing, it's, this is not going to end well. Yeah. It's either I do that, or I actually start having to like admit to people like we don't have a product ready. Yeah. And we're definitely going to have it in five years. Yeah. I guarantee. I mean, because that's what a lot of these companies will do. Yeah. They will say. We have this new technology. We need people to invest. It's going to disrupt, blah, 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 you know, <laughs> uh, spurt, spurt, spurt. And, you know, they, they, but, but they always say, we don't have a product yet, but I guarantee you we have prototypes that are very promising. Yeah. And in five to 10 years, that's always the phrase, we will have a product ready to go. I guarantee you. Right. It's, it is, we're on the cusp. We can't share that with you because we don't want to give away our trade secrets. Right. But we have patents. We have proven proof of concept. We have 
user studies. We have top-notch scientists working on it. We've had outside review. They've all checked it out. But never do they say, uh, Walgreens, go ahead and buy these. Right. And the military is using them right now. Right. And go ahead and, you know, actually start you know, diagnosing using you have a child for, with some health. Oh, use it. Absolutely. Right. They, they don't right. do that. <laughs> they don't go that far. Yeah. yeah. They do everything up, up to the up. point of, of actually uh, using it in, in the wider world. She could have kept it there and then the stock price would have dropped. Right. And then, you know, if she stuck with it, then they might have to branch out into maybe like some other product. Cause actually what they started going into at Walgreens actually was it wasn't the device they just created these little, like, Starbucks with – you know when you have a Starbucks inside a yeah. grocery store? It was like that. So Theranos would have these little offices okay. where they would do regular blood draws, <laughs> but, it, but it looked nice. Right. You know what I mean? So you'd go into the Walgreens. They could have pivoted to that. Which might have actually been profitable. Right. Because it – even though you could absolutely just go to your clinic, there's right. just something kind of inviting and about – And they keep working on the tech – Eventually, you upgrade the the kiosks with a little bit of more tech, and right. And in ten to twenty years, or five right. to ten years, maybe there's a device that can measure fifteen things, right? And it costs, you know, a thousand dollars. You're just not worth four billion today, right? <laughs> so there's plenty of business. So she could have done that, but that's not what she did. Yeah, she like stuck with the lie, tripled down. She fired scientists. She bullied people. Yeah. She got rid of evidence. So she, she, you know, cause the scientists were like, this machine has worked this many times accurately and this many times inaccurately. And she would tell the managers to get rid of the bad data and only report on the good data. Wow. Um, so that systematic thing can only be done by someone who has a characterological problem. Yeah. I just don't think it's at the level of say a, a Charlie Manson. Do you think it's uh, is she higher or lower than the fire dude? <laughs> I would say she's lower because the fire dude, when you take the gestalt of the whole thing, plus his behavior after when he started spamming everybody, yeah, which is just like more reckless. What's wrong? Yeah, that that's less the, planning. <laughs> that's the psychopath where it's like, yeah. what's wrong with you? Like <laughs> yeah. you have you have something wrong with you? It's like. <laughs> It, it's so obvious it's because it's, it's like there's no – you don't even benefit from this. Yeah. You know, like yeah. what are you doing? Right. With Elizabeth Holmes, I mean, time will tell. Yeah. But there's not this – like if she had this other fraud on the side that she <sighs> yeah. was kind of working or uh, she was having sex with the, everyone on the board or <laughs> or she uh, shot someone or, you know, like we – if there, but she, she it was pretty much just relegated to this one – Product, which is actually really quite common in the yeah. business industry. Okay, so Berto, let's end the po- episode. Why did this happen? Ah, well, there is greed. <laughs> people are people want money, man. And there's also, I think people just don't understand science generally. And there's a lot of people with money that don't understand science, so they're they're vulnerable. If someone tells them that they got some scientific thing. Uh, and they can speak nicely and charm them. They'll they're they're liable to like hand over some some cash. Absolutely. So I have seven factors that created this problem, and you just named my number four and my number six. Number four, well, you said greed, but I would say a society of greed. Yeah. I mean, you can say that certain people are greedy, but we live in a society. No, no I I didn't mean just those people. I just mean everyone's greedy. Yeah. We yeah. but 
our society is particularly fucking greedy. Yeah. And particularly on the West Coast, you know, particularly, yeah. you know, our our dot com society, it, it, there's a there's a lot of greed. And Manhattan. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh you know, she pro- and so not only was she motivated by the greed, right. but everyone that invested was motivated by the greed. And I've seen this before, you know, like the whole uh, venture capitalist culture is like um, you don't. You, there's fear of missing out, which I think is another kind of right. uh, factor. But also, there's this idea of like if you invest in the next best thing, then you're gonna be you're gonna you know times your money times a thousand. Yeah. And there are examples of this happening, like early Microsoft people or totally. early Amazon people or whatever. Uh, but that doesn't uh, account for the – that's only like 0.0001% of the investments that people will make. Like right. there's all these other businesses like Real Networks and yeah. uh, Netscape and you know other kinds of things. And those are just the ones I can think of off the top of my head, you know? Yeah. Countless like little game companies and other, and other medical <laughs> totally. uh, things. And so uh, – but there's a society of like, okay, I have, I have, a, I have an extra – $5 million burning a hole in my bank account, <laughs> instead of actually doing something for good for it, I want to make this into 50, 50. Or, <laughs> or 500 million. Yeah. Like, cause then I'll be really worth it. You know, then I'll be in that next level of richness. Right. You know, I'm at, I'm just at a regular level of richness. In fact, in a lot of ways, I'm with just $5 million in the bank. I'm really no different than just some Yahoo that yeah. like, has some stock options in, in Microsoft. Yeah. Who's, Who's like thirty five years old? Like, there's no. I, I want to be that next level, right? Because then I'll really be worth it. Yeah. Then I'll really be liked by right. society. You're, I'm buying this. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, uh, no, you won't. You'll still be miserable. In fact, you probably be more miserable. Uh, you, you boob. You know. Uh, and this, you also brought up that uh, this lack of scientific knowledge. Right. The public and the investors mm-hmm. and the media and people reading the media, like, you know, vast majority of people couldn't detect that there was something fishy about the story <laughs> to begin with, you know, whereas the experts were just like, um, that doesn't make any sense. You know, particularly so they, on the podcast, they interviewed people hearing like this one guy actually is this Greek doctor who knew about this sort of thing, knew about lab mm-hmm. tests of, of blood, who was like, well, the thing that tipped me off was that Theranos kind of sounds like a Greek word, mm-hmm. and it kind of sounds like a combination of Thanos, which is death, and um, some other word, which means like some other negative thing. He's okay. like, it looked like two Greek words that... and, the, and the, Someone who doesn't really know what they mean. <laughs> and it's a medical company, like... Why would you call it like bad death or, or black death? It's just anyway. And so he's like, well, that that's the first thing. And so I started looking into it and I was like, what are these people claiming? Anyway, so the other, um, <laughs> the other factors that I can think of is we have a problem of a, so not only with the culture of greed, but also a culture of capitalism uh, within, there's a problem in the culture of capitalism. So capitalism is fine, but, we have to be reflective on the culture, and we also have to, as a society, uh, account for the cons to capitalism. There's a lot of pros to a capitalistic structure, but there's a lot of cons as well. One of the cons is that people in a capitalistic mechanism are absolutely incentivized to lie. Yeah. 
you if your lies trick people to invest your you can go from having zero dollars in your net worth to having four and a half billion, billion dollars, dollars <laughs> through she did that by lying yeah and she is not the only case of that right she is not the only person who right now has millions upon millions of dollars in their worth and 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 in actual because you know because you can sell like one if she sold like five percent of her stock that that's like half a million half a billion dollars right there so it, it's it's real money I, I will say one thing though not to get too nitpicky here but uh the system we have of general wall street system of investment isn't the traditional idea of capitalism because the traditional idea of capitalism is that if you have a mar- a free market of supply and demand, the things that have more demand, uh, if you supply them, you will make hefty amounts of money, right? But because we have a stock market of speculation, what ends up happening is that the the supply and demand is for lies and and hearsay and and theories, not for actual products that get that get sold. It would be the same if there wasn't a stock market. If they went directly to the public themselves, you know, investors, blah blah blah, and said, "Please invest money in this." You couldn't sell that many units for real. You could if you were very good at selling something. I mean, it's happened, but, be but then you're talking about like an Amway or, or something like that, you know? I'm just saying like, I get your point, but I don't know if it applies to this one well, as much because uh, a lot, you know, almost a billion dollars was invested by people writing a check yeah, directly no. to, you know, like, yeah. and I guess they would have bought shares, but shares. if they didn't have that, they would have just written a check to her, which is essentially what they knew they were doing. Right. You know? But this is what I'm saying, because a lot of critics of the stock market, they're not anti-capitalists. They, they say, in fact, the stock market hurts the free market system oh. because what happens is you get into these hyped up companies that don't have products. Right. And I, there are probably more egregious examples yeah. than this one because this one actually uh, was trying because some of these hyped up companies actually yeah. – it's just a press release or yeah. something. And right, they, right, right. they don't even have an office. You know. Anyway, so I've observed this culture. You know, Being in Seattle, uh, we have a lot of quote-unquote VCs. And I've actually worked with people who are VCs. I've worked with people who are brokers for v- VCs. Mm-hmm. There's this whole culture of lying in this mm-hmm. world. It's, as you said, vaporware. Yeah. It's not just in software. It's in the business world in general. It's like there's just this expectation like, well, in order to get ahead, you have to lie. Like yeah. you say business is great when it's not. You say, you know, research shows that our product is effective. Right. When it's not, you say, we have several prominent investors who are interested in our business model. Right. When you haven't had a single person interested, and what is interest anyway? You know, like someone can be interested without investing. People do that all the time. You say, there's no evidence that these two airline crashes are related or that we should ground planes. Yeah. Uh, And this is the capitalist system because especially in a legal world where you can't be consequenced for lying in that way. Or there's an inability to police such kinds of laws. Um, we and we get accustomed to this from the day we're looking at an advertisement for the first time when we're three years old. Yeah, uh, hungry, 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 hungry hippos commercial. You know, I don't know if this was the commercial when we were kids, but I could see this being said. 
this is the funnest game ever invented. You know, you'll never need to buy another game again for the rest of your life. You know, we become a we become accustomed. And I remember when I was a kid, I remember talking to my parents. I'm like, so these these commercials are saying this thing, but that doesn't make any sense. And I remember my parents like really having to sit me down and saying, they're lying or they're they're trying they're, they're exaggerating. And I remember actually being kind of wigged out by that. I was like, well, is that is, legal? <laughs> is it? I'm being taught all the time that lying is wrong. Right. And you're telling me that the TV is lying to me? Like, and these people are doing it to thousands of people. <laughs> Millions. How are they getting away with this? And, and, I, and I remember my parents just like, well, that's just the way it works. And I remember that being pretty heartbreaking because Yikes. I grew up in church too, where it wasn't just like, something you just didn't do no, it was like hell <laughs> it was like a sin yeah. to lie it was god is watching right right, right. and I, I remember being pretty upset about that we don't have to have a society like that we don't have to allow that kind of bullshit to happen i don't know why i'm sitting here defending capitalism but i will point out that in you can have a capitalist system without that yeah yes i and that's fair because i was going to point out that in north korea and in the soviet union and stuff like uh, the the greed and the lies were as or worse. Right, <laughs> right. You 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 don't have like this is a capitalist venture. This yeah. podcast. Yeah, we are trying to get money. We are <laughs> we are providing a product, which right. is this podcast. Um, for a lot of different. I mean, for the first seven years, we did it at a loss. Right. So obviously, we're willing to do it regardless. Yeah. But, but we don't make up stories of like where I work or things like that. Like it's it's all on the level, people. So like, for example, I could lie all the time if I wanted to right. like, I, it, and probably make more money right. it, like, and get more hype. Like I could claim certain things. Like, for example, with um, the scholarship that we just gave out, yeah. I could have... I could have not given out that scholarship. Maybe there was no scholarship, right? right? There's, you know, no one's audited me as far as I know. Right. I just awarded another scholarship. Uh, this one was for 100000 Right. So I, I wrote a check personally on my personal checking account <laughs> for $2,000 for a scholarship, and right. I sent it in the mail to the recipient of the award. And I could have not done that. Right. And I could have made up a name and said we gave – I didn't have to show a picture. You know, right. no one's checking. But I – that's not good business because if you lie about that, you lie about other things. Eventually, now you're running from lies. Yeah. Um, what if you get caught? Right. Plus, like, my purpose in life is not to acquire as much money as possible. Right. It's to have a meaningful, helpful experience, one in which I'm trying to make a difference in the world. Right. And, <laughs> and, and lying, you would only do... To manipulate people, right? Yeah, like, would you have done, would you have lied for seven years for no money? <laughs> right. Like, why are we sitting here lying to people? Like, right. what are we getting out of this? <laughs> like, it, it's, it's a, it's, when you live in a capitalist culture that, and a greed culture and a materialistic culture, then all your goals are to make as much money. Yeah. It's not to have a meaningful life. It's not right. to have a fulfilling life. It is yeah. only to make money. And when you have that imbalance of values, then that leads to lying, yeah. which leads to us getting accustomed to lying, which leads to Elizabeth fucking Holmes. Yeah. Number two is tech culture, uh, like of beta testing and of releasing software and then reacting to the bugs afterwards. Yeah. There's this whole culture in the in Silicon Valley where it's just like 
well, you know, just put it out there, you know. Right. And in the medical world, you can't do that. It's the opposite. You have to test it. Yep. It, it has to be beta, gamma, delta tested until it is omega tested, yep. and then you release it. You do not release <laughs> it with any bugs because it could right. kill people. Oh, and, and by the way, I should point out that this thing about just, just release it, we'll figure out the bugs later. That's not how it started. No. Because you used to have to print cartridges and then later floppy disk and then later CDs. But and now, that's expensive. But now with like <laughs> hidden automatic updates and everything, right. everything it's like, well, well, oh, we'll just update it next week. It's yeah, fine. Yeah. We're watching everything they're doing on their computer anyway. Right. So number three is problems in the legal system. Again, in a capitalistic governmental system, which gives liars too much freedom there's a lack of consequences. The solution is we need more tax dollars to fund organizations to monitor these people because we actually have laws in the books, but there's not enough people to monitor everybody. Right. We also need the laws and regulations to protect the people. Remember that principle, actually protecting the public from from fraud like sounds crazy people are harmed by this but you know the housing crisis in 2008 enron yeah. and the countless other examples like that's why the government exists right it's not to uphold corporations it's to it's it's of the people by the people it's just it's ridiculous i had this ridiculous uh debate uh the other day about uh someone i know was advocating for no minimum wage like there shouldn't be a minimum yeah, that's right. the libertarian point. Right. And then I was saying, well, I mean, sure, but that's how it used to be. And the reason we have one is because we need to prevent abuse at the lower levels. And and they were like, well, what abuse? How is that abuse? It, like, this is not slavery. This is at-will employment. How is it abuse? They could leave at any time. And I just sat there like, wow. Well, talk, talk about a privileged uh, position, right? That and... <laughs> without knowledge of history, because that person grew up in a society where minimum wage was always there. Yeah. So you have to study history and study right. how systems of economics work and, and you know, business structure, and again, incentive. Um, and so I'm going to talk off the top of my head and see if I can actually get to, you know, the original uh, reason why we need minimum, minimum wage is in the past, you had capitalists who had all the money, Right. And could uh, and and you have a, a governmental system that actually wants that because in in order for you to have a, a railroad company, you need to have one organization that has enough economy of scale to yeah. actually like produce, uh, you know, ten thousand rail, uh, you know, things, <laughs> and a thousand different trains. You, you can't have, you know, like in the old days, you could have like someone who repaired shoes. Right. And, and just a dude who works at home and he repairs shoes. But when it comes to like airplanes and trains and industry, you need like one organization that has a lot of money. So you have a government that actually supports that model. And then you uh, – if there's no regulation on minimum wage, then, you know, like one person or one family in a entire county owns – essentially all the property and all the money and all the means. And then they're like, okay, everyone who lives here, um, go ahead and get a job at, you know, we're opening up our doors to hiring. And uh, a bunch of people show up and, and they don't have a job because you are the industry in right. your area. 
and you know they can't go work at a at a tiny train shop or a tiny steel mill. There's a, no a, choice. A mom and yeah, there's no choice. You right. you have to work for the Sarger right. thing because the so government it's not at will employment. <laughs> right, and so the over time the employer's like hmm. Well, I want to make more money, so I need to drive down my costs right. and labor expensive. So, hmm, what if I lowered the payment to, well, let's just say $3 an hour? What if I like required everyone to work 65 hours a week or else they'll get fired? What if I don't let anyone have any health care? What if, oh, what if kids worked? Interesting. No one is quitting. That must mean that this is a fair system because, you know. They're not slaves. Right. They could they could not work for us if they right. didn't want to. But the choice is either work for them, and especially when you have say five companies, yeah, and they all agree, yeah, like let's just fuck the labor, yeah. uh, because we make more money. Yeah. Guess what happens? Uh, the people get fucked in the end, and so that's why you need those things. Did it, you think I explained that well? Enough? Yeah, and that was my point. Was like, look, if if there was no greed. In general, like greed wasn't a thing and therefore people didn't abuse the laws, then sure, you might not need it because basically a nice, healthy balance will be struck organically. We've looked at the evidence in the last 6,000 years and it doesn't work that way. (laughs) Uh, Number five reason why uh, Elizabeth Holmes happened was because of privilege. Imagine if she wasn't white. Imagine if she didn't talk like an upper class person. Imagine if she didn't go to Stanford. Uh, you know, you see a tall, blonde, pretty, thin young woman, and you just believe everything she says. That's privilege. Number seven is problems in the media. She was in the media for a long time. I mean, Forbes, blah, 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 all these people. No one bothered to check. No one bothered to say, well, she's saying this right. is going to work. She's saying it's in the military. Why don't we actually ask the military, have you bought these devices? You know how easy that would have been, a, how easy of a question they could have asked? Right. And no one did. Nobody did because of two reasons. One, it's, it's, it's a fun story to sell. But another thing is it's sort of like this weird sexism thing because our society, and particularly women, wanted their Steve Jobs. Yeah. Right? You want... Your, it's similar to the R. Kelly story where it's just like if you're an African-American and you don't know about the sexual abuse, you're just like, well, R. Kelly's this really great guy. He's right. talented. He's interesting. He's, filling, he's one of our heroes. He's one of our heroes. Right. I don't want to believe that he does bad things because he represents our community well. To women, they looked at Elizabeth Holmes and they're just like, what a great thing that this woman is. It's the right. wave of the future and she's breaking the glass ceiling and – Four and a half billion dollars, and it's all her. She doesn't have a single man helping her. Like, what a great, and she's a wonderful speaker, and she's yeah. going to save the world. This is the new, you know. It doesn't get any better. Yeah, and it's, and it's like, that's the narrative that you need to believe. And, and there were reports, there were people coming forward, but it was all ignored for a number of reasons, and I think partially because we wanted to believe. Yeah. People were writing a story, not reporting on the story. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it. 